Hello, vets of tomorrow. As veterinarians, we are concerned with the welfare of the animals in our care. But how about our own welfare, the welfare of the species veterinarian? The Federation of Veterinarians of Europe has recently launched the results of their second survey about the welfare and the way that veterinarians view their work. Today I'm talking with Jan Farten about the federations of veterinarians in Europe and the survey they have published. Today I'm in Brussels and I'm sitting here with Jan, who is the head of the federations of veterinarians in Europe. Maybe you could tell us something about why was the federation established? Well, the federation was established already in the 60s of the last century, so 1960s. And at that time, one of the most important goals for the Federation, for the then members of the Federation, it was not still not called the Federation, but for the, it was what they called the Liaison Committee, was to speak together about the quality of the veterinary education in the countries that, that, that were at that moment in this, uh, in this committee. It was in the early phases, let's say, of the uh, EU, what's now the EU. At that time, there were only six countries uh, together, uh, Italy, France, Germany and the three Benelux countries and they were looking for ways how they could promote free movement of veterinarians in these countries and a precondition to do so was the quality of the education in these countries so that you could easily recognize the qualifications of these veterinarians. So that was how it all started in the 60s and then later in the 70s it became FEE, Federation of Veterinarians of Europe, and the number of members and the number of countries that joined the FEE has grown over the years. At this moment we have 40 countries uh, in FEE, so that's even wider than the EU. And at this time also the, we have many more items to be working on. It's not only the quality of veterinary education, but there are many more, many more uh, points we are uh, working on, although quality of, vet of veterinary education is still an important topic and we still do a lot of work on that. What are the aspects? Well, at this moment what we write in the mission of FEE is that we want to enhance animal health, animal welfare, public health and the protection of the environment. So these are the main goals, the, 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 let's say the, the overarching goals that we want to achieve, so many topics that are related to these uh, four we are working on and I think the specific thing of FEE is that we want to work on these goals through the veterinary profession. There are many more organizations for example who work on animal welfare and they all have their own way of working but the FEE it's important to do that through the veterinarian. So we want to create the best possible conditions for the individual veterinarians so that they can deliver their responsibilities and they all can contribute as good as possible to better animal health, animal welfare, public health and the, and the environment. So we try to create the best possible conditions for the veterinarians and that means for example good quality education as I already mentioned, uh, good legislation, availability of medicines, uh, common positions all that kind of things that you don't do as an individual veterinarian but that we can do at the group level, at the federation level. And for FEE we focus at the European level. In the countries you have the national organizations who do the same, more or less the same at the national level. We choose the European level and, 
at the global level in the WVA, the World Veterinary Association. And can you tell a bit more about how the FEE is structurally built? So you have a board, you have working groups, yeah, how does yeah. it work? We have, um, well, the, the, of course, the most important uh, decision-making body in the FEE is the General Assembly. It's the, the assembly where all members of FEE uh, come together. They meet uh, two times every year. Uh, normally we have one meeting here in Brussels every year and one meeting that is hosted by one of the member organizations, so that goes around in, in Europe. That's the most important decision-making body in, uh, in FEE. But for the day-to-day -day, uh, governance of the organization, the General Assembly elects a board. And this board gets a mandate for two years. The members of the board can be re-elected one time for another two years, but the board, these are five persons, president and four uh, vice presidents, they are responsible for the, let's say, day-to-day -day policy making in, in FEE. And of course, this board uh, has the political uh, responsibility, but they don't have all the knowledge and all the expertise, etc. Uh, they are advised by working groups and committees, so when there is a new topic on the agenda, uh, often it is first goes to the working group to prepare an answer for the board, or to prepare uh, a decision for the board, and then that uh, working group uh, reports back to the board, and then the board can take uh, a decision. So we have... Um, for example, a working group on animal welfare, we have a working group on uh, veterinary medicines, we have a food safety and quality uh, working group. These are just a few uh, examples. And who sits in the working groups? The working groups, when there is a new working group uh, established, uh, we ask the, the member organizations to nominate uh, candidates for these working groups. So we uh, send out a call for, uh, for, nomina for nominations. The members can uh, send in their nominations and then on the base of the nominations uh, we receive, the board decides on the composition of the working group uh, and then we look at uh, different backgrounds, different parts of Europe. So we try to make a, a group that, is, that covers the whole uh, European uh, field. And these people then are the, the working group. And how long do you sit in a working group? Uh, well, for all these working groups we have what we call terms of reference. And in general these terms of reference say that the, the members are in the working group for three years. So after three years there is a renewal of the working group and then there is a new uh, call for nominations. Some people are re-nominated and then so there's all every three years as a, let's say, a refreshment of the composition of the, of the working group. And how many members does the FAE currently have? We have 48 member organizations from 40 European countries. And 40 European countries, that means all the EU countries, so at this moment 27 countries in the EU, but then we also have certain countries who are not in the European Union uh, member just like Iceland, uh, Norway, Switzerland, uh, UK has now left um, 
in the EU, Balkan countries. So they are not in the EU, but they are um, the, the veterinary organizations in these countries are also a member of, uh, of FEE. So we have 40 countries in, uh, in FEE. We have a bit more uh, member organizations than countries, because from some countries we have two member organizations, uh, which means that we have the what we call the statutory body or the regulatory body, that's the body that uh, regulates the profession. You can think about the chamber or the order or the, or the college that regulates the profession. And then there's also the organization, the association that um, uh, stands for the interest of the profession. So some countries where we have two members, for example, the UK, there is the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons, the regulatory organization, and the British Veterinary Association. Uh, from France, we have the L'Ordre de Veterinaires, and on the other hand, the Fédération des Syndicats. Uh, in Germany, uh, Bundesverband Praktiserende Tierartsen and the Bundestierartsenkammer. So that's why we have uh, a bit more member organizations than, than countries in FEE. And as FEE, do you also represent the veterinarians? Well, we want to be also the, the, the voice of the veterinary profession, so we represent our member organizations, and of course these member organizations represent uh, their members. So as FEE, indirectly, via our member organizations, we estimate that we represent around 300,000 vets in Europe. And you've recently made a survey about vets in Europe. Can you tell us a bit more why was this survey launched? Well, the survey, uh, we did the second time we did this uh, survey. The first uh, survey was done uh, a few years ago. And the main reason to do a survey and also to repeat the survey is that we think it's important to have more information about the veterinary profession in Europe. How many vets are there? Where are they working? Uh, what age are they, um, male, female, all these kind of things, we then, that gives us a better understanding about the veterinary profession as it is, what are the trends in the veterinary profession, what do we see uh, changing in the, in the profession, and also some questions related to what do the veterinarians want, what do they see for the, for the future and what are, for example, problems they face. So this is a very important uh, source of information for the FEE to base its policies on. How many people did respond? Uh, I think 13,500, but I don't have the exact number, but in that, in that order, 13,500 people across Europe have uh, replied to the survey, yes. Do you feel that is representative for the whole of the profession? In general, yes, it, it varies a bit uh, from country to country. You need a certain number of uh, veterinarians and uh, percentage of the, of the uh, veterinary population in the country to have uh, a representative answer. But I think for most of the countries, we had enough people who replied to the survey to say, well, this is, uh, gives a, well, a real uh, picture of how the situation is. When was the first survey done and what kind of developments did you see? The first survey was done, if I remember correctly, 2015. What we see, for example, a trend that still goes on is that the number of uh, female veterinarians is increasing 
and the number of male veterinarians is, is, is decreasing. That's something we see. Um, we see that in general the, the age of the veterinarians is getting down, so there are more younger vets and we also believe this is something that will continue because there's quite a large number of veterinarians that will retire in the coming few years, so the, the, the total age of the profession is, um, is, is uh, going down a bit. We see that um, if we look to the questions about the, how see veterinarians them, them uh, appreciated, uh, how do they think they are appreciated by society, there's, uh, it's a bit better than the last time, but in some countries it's still quite low. We see uh, changes, a bit changes in the payments of the veterinarians through the different countries. So this kind of things we see that there are developments uh, Europe-wide. We see that a lot of veterinarians uh, and a growing number works in small in companion animal practices. Uh, there's really um, a problem arising in relation to the number of vets that work in, uh, in large animal practices. In some countries um, it's really hard to find vets who want to work in, in, veteran, in, in large animal practices. Uh, we see more and more that young vets want to work in small animal practices and they want to work in, in, uh, in, in urban uh, regions. They don't want to go in the, in the rural, in the countryside. So that's also a point where we really have to pay attention to, to be able to make sure that the whole country is well covered by veterinary services. And how are you going to address that? Well, for example, this last point is something that we have to see with uh, the, the vet schools and with the vet students what is the reason why, why it's so difficult to attract uh, young veterinarians to uh, the rural practices. Um, it also has to do, I think, with um, the, the um, attractiveness of working in the, in the rural practices. I think that's also something we have to to work out why, uh, what, what, how can we make these um, careers more attractive. And on a political level we are seeing with, uh, for example now with the um, European Commission, in the whole uh, new policy development, there's more attention for rural areas in general, to get, uh, well, to, to, to keep people living there. So maybe there's also a way there to support veterinarians who, uh, who still want to go there. But I think uh, this is something we cannot simply uh, solve by saying, well, this is how it has to be, because you have to do with well, what is interesting for, for people as well. And I don't know exactly um, also for young veterinarians, I think the, the, the problem is very much what is the expectation of the, well, the problem, the topic is what are the expectations of people when they decide to study veterinary medicine, what do they have in mind and how is that, how does that correlate with the, with the, the real life, let's say. It's, it, does it match or, or not? With regards to working in the countryside, that's a trend you also see in human medicine. But I think maybe for veterinarians there are more reasons than just the rural area. 
You mentioned earlier that most people want to do small animal veterinary medicine. And I also read in the report that two-thirds of the income is generated by small animal veterinary medicine. So if you want to go into large animal practice, maybe that in itself simply isn't as calling anymore as it once was. And probably also students have different views on how we keep animals in the agricultural yeah. sector. Yeah. Well, it could very well be that you are right, but I don't have hard figures to, to support this, uh, this idea. But I think in general what you see is that, the, let's say, the, the whole image of uh, animal husbandry has come down over the, over the years. I think in the, in the past there was more a kind of friendly picture, how people keep animals, how people live together with the animals. And now it has changed and it has changed in such a way that young scholars don't want to be associated with this type of, of animal production. And I think that's a much larger question, uh, that's more in general about a societal question also, about how do we keep animals, uh, how do we want to keep animals, and uh, are we still on the right way, or do we have to adjust that? Because uh, um, what you see over the last few decades is that uh, we have made uh, enormous uh, steps forward in uh, improving the efficiency of animal production. So I think if you compare that to other parts of the world, Europe is highly efficient in, in producing uh, animals and, and, and we can do large, large amounts for a relatively low price. But that has come to a certain cost, I think, and, uh, and that's the way how these animals are now kept. And I think more in general we have to rethink if this is the, the right way and how we can, can adjust it. And it's also hard work physical hard work. If you work, for example, in a cattle practice, out of hours, doing yeah. cesarean and everything, yeah. do you yeah. think that is also part why it maybe isn't so attractive anymore? Mm, I, that can play a role, but I don't think that that is one of the, of the most important roles. Uh, maybe it has to do with also with the, that there are less boys who go into the, into the practice. Uh, maybe like more physical uh, work, I don't know, but I think that it has always been a, a physically uh, demanding uh, profession and that has not really been uh, a reason why not to go into the, into the practice. So maybe it plays a role, the, the point about uh, long working days and, and long working hours. Of course, I think at this, mo at this time people look different to the the lifestyle and the, and the work uh, free time balance but I think in if you organize practices uh, properly you can also solve that I think that's not something that it's you don't have to be there seven days 24 hours if you work with more vets together you can you can organize it and do you see this trend developing from the single man practice towards bigger practices? Yeah, but Better. it also, uh, you see that, but it also had as, uh, also, let's say, a national component in. Every country has its own history and its own way of working. And some countries are 
more advanced going in that direction and they are more used to work together in larger practices and for some countries uh, it's it's more difficult it also has to do with um, competition in the in the veterinary profession when there are many vets and there's more competition sometimes people stay more on their own uh, so there are many things that play a role but I think if you look more into the future there will be more uh, practices where more people uh, work together yeah and coming back to the report itself the the second one what were what were findings that made you think well the finding that uh, makes us think is that um, quite a large number of veterinarians doesn't seem to be really satisfied with uh, with the job and they say well uh, if i had to if I could restart, I would do it differently. Uh, also, people who leave the profession quite early uh, after a few years. So I think that's also one of the things we have to to. That's the same thing. What what is the expectation of of people who become a veterinarian, and what is the real uh, work that they face later on? What makes them that they after a few years they decide? Well, maybe I make a switch and I go to another job. Because for the individual and also for the profession as a whole, it's 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 sad when you spend a lot of time and energy in, in becoming a veterinarian, and then in the end it, it doesn't bring what you had hoped it would bring. And for the profession, it's not only that it's difficult to, to find people, but if the people that go into the practice, you cannot keep them, then uh, you the, the, the problem gets bigger. So what does that say about our welfare? Well, for your own well-being, it's important that you have a job where you can be happy and that answers your your ambitions. And I think that's also something that you see in some countries, there's more information than another, that veterinarians often uh, struggle with, with mental problems. For example, uh, they, 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 they have difficulties to uh, cope with their job. And in what ways do they struggle or find it difficult to cope with the job? Many veterinarians, I think, are a bit idealistic. They want to, uh, which is good, which drives them. This idealism doesn't match with sometimes harsh conditions of the, of the, of the practice. And that you can want to treat all the animals, to have all, all uh, owners happy, and, and, uh, but in the end, um, that doesn't... You, you don't manage and then you have to to be able to deal with this kind of disappointment. And there's also that apparently with nowadays vets, then their, their self-confidence is lower. They Apparently for them it's more difficult to, to accept that not everything goes 100%. Of course you can strive that you do everything uh, 100%, but in the end it will happen every now and then to everyone that that's not the case. And then... You, you, sh- you should be able to say, well, I did what I could, I, I, I know I did my best, and still it doesn't give me the results I wanted. But I, I know for myself I have done what I could, so I can go on. But if you can't do that, then it, it, it becomes a very large burden on your shoulders that you say, oh, I failed. What role do you think the, the national veterinary organizations or maybe also the European veterinary organizations have to support vets in this? Because I remember very well from when I was working in practice that 
half of the time I was a bit afraid that I would do something wrong uh, which I may be sued for. I don't think that helps. I remember one very particular case where a lady wanted a euthanasia of a dog with repeating otitis and I didn't want to put down and she started threatening to sue me and I called the national body I was working under and the advice they gave me was yeah let a colleague do it. Yeah, well, I think that's that's not a, <laughs> a, a, a strong advice. I think that um, the, the the question, of course, is what what can you do at at um, at the national level or at the European level? I think in this in this kind of cases, it's important for a veterinarian who faces a situation like this that you can share that situation with, with other colleagues and discuss it and that you can feel supported by, by other colleagues. That you can say, well, I, I see this case so and so and so and for these reasons I think it's not the right thing to do now to put this dog uh, down. Because you are there also, you have your own responsibility as a veterinarian, that's not only um, fulfilling the, the questions of the, of the owner, but you you really need to feel supported, I think, by people around you in your own practice or by other people that you can that can back up you and that also if this lady would sue you, that you can go to the well, to the body that's dealing with it and say, well, for these and these reasons and these are the 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 arguments that I share with my with my colleague, I don't think we, this dog should be uh, put down so that you don't feel left alone. And do you feel or do you have feedback from different countries? Is this happening sufficiently? And, uh, there are differences in how countries deal with it and I think some countries pay more attention to it than, uh, than other countries and you see also initiatives to make it work. For example, in the UK there is a system for mentoring. Veterinarians have a kind of mentor from a practice a bit farther away, so not someone from, from very nearby. Someone to uh, where you can discuss this kind of things and then build the whole system around that. Other countries have a kind of systems to um, support young veterinarians when they just started in their uh, in their work to to help them to uh, to get this confidence and this self-esteem and say, well, this is where I I stand for. And I think what what you can do, for example, and what we can do is make this kind of practices more known and try to share these best practices so that other countries can benefit from the experience that uh, they have uh, got in this country. What is going to be the future role of the veterinarian within the society? Is it becoming more and more looking after the safety of our food and maybe the environment or is it really being more the guardians of animal welfare? I think the role of the veterinarian as such will be there in this uh, meeting point of the different interests. I think as you always will have to look at, at food safety, animal health, animal welfare, all these things and, and take your position there. And it's clear that over the years when the, the importance of different things are differently appreciated, the position will change a bit. But I think the, the crucial point is there that the veterinarian is there as the expert, the independent expert that can take a position that is balanced between the needs from the different uh, interests. And are students well prepared when they leave university? I think it's important that students understand this role very well, that they are very well aware of this expectation. 
think that there is a lot of interest from for the, for the more technical uh, aspects and less for this kind uh, of of important things for um, for, for the veterinary profession. That's one thing. The other thing is that you have to see that when a student leaves the university, he's at the beginning of, of the career and he what he needs or what she needs there is to have a sufficient understanding to start a new career path. And then, but it's just a start, then later on you always need to develop further, you need to keep on learning because what you, you learn a lot, you learn many important things when you are in the vet school, but that's just the start. And there's too much that you cannot put in all for everyone in all the curricula. So there is a basis, basic uh, uh, training in the vet school, but when you graduate from school, well, real life really just starts. Because I think I read in the report that a lot of Older vets felt that the students weren't adequately qualified, but also the students felt they weren't really that well prepared. Yeah, but I think that's something that has uh, existed over over years and years. I think older vets always think that they knew more when they came out of the vet school and that this young uh, junior vet in the practice doesn't know how to do this or that but i think they are not they do not remember well enough how they were themselves when they left uh, left the vet school and you cannot expect a young vet when he just leaves vet school that he is a well experienced vet you have to well to, to take into account that this is just a starting person so that's also one of the reasons why it's good to build this support around this young vet so that you can help the young vet on the, on the right uh, track. And if a veterinary student decides that really what they want to do is work in governing bodies, what, what kind of qualifications or skills do they need? I think it's important uh, wherever you work is that you well when you work there as a veterinarian you need to have this, this uh, basic knowledge and basic understanding and, and way of thinking as a veterinarian but if you want to work let's say in, in, in policy making you have to understand how this is done and uh, what are the way how you come to conclusions how you come to positions in, 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 in governing organizations I made a switch myself from uh, well, working in practice uh, I did research and now I'm working in, in FEE and for myself, I, when I was in this pharmaceutical uh, company, I first did only veterinary research, very technical. But then I started to become more involved in, um, in policy making and uh, this was a kind of process. For, uh, in the beginning it was uh, five days research and it was four days research, one day policy making, three days, two days, etc. So I grew into that, one thing. And the other thing is that uh, when I went home in the evening, I, was, I realized at a certain point that I was much more thinking about all the things we had on the agenda in relation to policy making. So I, I, I realized that this was something that was closer to my heart than my research project. And I think that's for all the, the, the work, what you, what you, where you go is you have to find the place where you 
you fit where you that matches with your uh, ambitions and and your talents and what you have to offer and it can be very well that it is policy making and, and the, the thing of policy making is that you have to work with with other people with other uh, uh, opinions and you have to see what do we have in common how can we bring that together and how can we move together uh, forward and, and the, the in practice you are often I think more on your own and you have to take a decision here and now and what is the solution while in policy making it's more like what is the final goal uh, how do we convince people that we go that way what are the arguments so it's it's a different way of working with with people if you would need to give a short pep talk to students why should they go into policy making uh, well i think uh, why should they go into policy making i think you should only go into policy making when you really feel attracted to that but uh, i think if you really feel attracted to that if you think that's where i can contribute to the development of veterinary medicine where I can contribute to the uh, improving animal health and welfare etc. Uh, then I think there are very interesting uh, um, and very rewarding uh, positions to fulfill. So I think if if you have uh, an interest in that then uh, yes go for it and find, find a place where you can fit and see that maybe it's less direct but you can really give an a contribution to the developments in, 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 in veterinary medicine and sometimes you are I think more in the front line than when you are in, in practice you really can think where are we today where do we want to be tomorrow so I think well, at least for me and I think there are many more people it can be a very um, rewarding uh, job and if a student would be interested are there places for work experience available uh, there are places for, for uh, to getting more experience in, uh, in different organizations. For example, here in our office we have always students and uh, young graduates who work here for three months, six months, depending on the, 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 the situation of the moment. So then they can, they can come to us and work with us, uh, see how we work, how we go to the meetings in the, in the European Parliament. Uh, how we meet with people from the Commission, how the whole process of EU legislation works, how we work together with other uh, organizations in the, in the European uh, field. So that's, that's one of the possibilities. I know there are also places for uh, students within the European Commission. So yes, there are certainly uh, places. Thank you very much indeed. And I hope that uh, at least some veterinary students got a bit motivated. Yeah, and if they want, they can always uh, contact FEE or me, and they are. Uh, I'm happy to answer their uh, questions directly, or they can come and visit us. Uh, it's always nice to speak with the students. If you wanted to learn more about the federations of veterinarians of Europe, you can go and visit their website on www.fee.org. And if you wanted to learn more about a possible job opportunity or traineeship at the European Union. You could check out their website which is epso.eu.europa.eu and look for job opportunities, traineeships. Mm -hmm.